0: This is the Handshake Agency Podcast.
1: Hi, and welcome to a very special episode of The Green Room Podcast, a podcast presented by the Handshake Agency. I'm your host, Tiana Speeter. Now, for a lot of you out there, if you listen to this podcast, chances are you're a music fan and you've seen or experienced the ongoing impact of the COVID-19 pandemic over what's been close to a year and a half now. And today you will notice that this is somewhat a slightly different episode to what you're used to hearing on The Green Room. Back in 2020, The Green Room ran two special episodes in May and earlier on in March when the true repercussions of the COVID-19 pandemic were just truly starting to be felt, really, and these episodes featured a range of music industry figures chatting in what we'd now realise was pretty much the infancy of the ongoing pandemic and its impacts. And back in March and May last year, as Australia tasted its first snippets of lockdown, This permeating sentiment was, we're all in it together, and there seemed to be a very large and shared sense of optimism that normality was on the cards on its way in the very near future. But as we have all heartbreakingly learned via some false starts and the ongoing and escalating crisis around the country right now as I record this, that shared optimism seems to be in tatters as an industry already nearing breaking point in 2020 continues to be hit with snap lockdowns, border closures and a raft of restrictions cruelly decimating what little was left standing as we all ventured into 2021. I know for a lot of us we thought when the clock ticked over on December 31st we would be back to normal but sadly it's very much not been the case. It's been a sobering near a year and a half for many of us that much is undeniable and especially in the music industry with gig cancellations dominating the daily news cycles festivals essentially dead in the water and international acts all but given up on a 2021 down under at this point in time according to the latest stats via i lost my gig an initiative of the australian festivals association and the australian music industry network Following on from a national survey of almost 2,000 professionals, 23,000 gigs and events were found to have been cancelled, resulting in nearly $64 million of lost income since July 1st of this year. Or to put it in other terms, this means approximately $16 million per week. Of this lost revenue, survey results indicated 99% of these gigs and events had no income protection or event cancellation insurance. What these raw stats don't take into account is that the rent's not paid, the bills that mount for the countless number of people employed directly impacted by cancelled gigs, sound guys, lighting, bar staff, Uber drivers, so many more, they're all affected by this. The words gig economy now have a whole new meaning, but the fact is there's a whole economy that sits alongside every live music show, no matter how big or small it may be. Of that same study, since March 2020, a mere 7% of professionals working in the live performance and events industries have been able to operate at pre-COVID levels, and in the most recent financial year, just shy of 83,000 shows were cancelled between July 1st, 2020 and June 30th, 2021. As little as six weeks ago, confidence in the upcoming summer was high, with tours announced daily and much-beloved events seemingly back in business, including some confidence that the hastily cancelled Blues Fest would indeed return in October. The tantalising taste of some normality has since soured for many of us as the country plunges in and out of lockdowns and the near future sits clouded in uncertainty. And while government support packages, grants and other initiatives have certainly endeavoured to scramble to keep the lights on and the hope alive, the ultimate question here remains as we rapidly approach the 18-month mark for Australia's COVID battle. Just how is the music industry and arts sectors truly situated at this stage of the pandemic narrative? Are we truly worse off now in the latter half of 2021 than we were last year? For this two part series, we have put these questions and more to our panel of music industry experts and figures, some of whom have joined in previous episodes, as well as some brand new additions for this latest roundtable. In part one, we look at where we're at as an industry, a look into government and some financial topics and issues, and some surprising factors that have played into the music industry via the COVID effect as well. We've reconvened last year's panels with a few new faces that I'll introduce to you along the way hoping to again gauge where we're at and what we may lose and how the fuck we might get out of this. For regular listeners, this is definitely not the upbeat green room you are probably used to, but we hope it's an important episode which further outlines just how much our industry and your favourite artists are hurting and just how much this affects you and us. To start off today's part one... It's now been well over a year, nearly a year and a half since the COVID pandemic truly took hold in Australia, and it's no secret the specific and ongoing challenges the music industry has faced in this time. But as we continue into the latter half of this year, the first question I posed to each member of our panel was simply this. With all the outbreaks and snap lockdowns and oscillating border closures happening right now, how different does the current COVID situation feel compared to last year, when we were in fact unwittingly at the start of what was truly to come. For me personally, back in February this year, I was genuinely convinced that everything was back to normal. I flew interstate from Sydney, back home to Queensland. I got to attend the other festival at the Fortitude Music Hall in Brisbane. I was standing in this beautiful room surrounded by 3D people. There were bands on stage. There were no masks. I had a drink in my hand and I genuinely believed at that moment we had made it through and We had finally found a return to normality and I know at that time all around the world friends overseas were looking on at Australia with envy and absolute bafflement as we all posted our Instagram stories of these live gigs and events, albeit ones that were reduced capacity-wise and definitely still with the overhanging reminder that mosh pits weren't entirely back on the menu as they once were and yet here we are in August of 2021. We've gone from there to... In the space of recording this podcast, hearing stories of gigs being shut down and bands pulled off stage before an encore could even take place. How far backwards have we truly gone? Here's our panel's thoughts. A man who has witnessed the trail of destruction COVID has left in the live music industry as the head of the ALMBC, and of course the impact on his own business, CEO of booking agency Select Music, Stephen Wade.
0: Hi, Tiana. Thank you for having me. Um it, it's much worse. You know, I I have done my very best to, you know, remain as positive as I possibly can through the last 16 months. Uh the differences this time around, though, are that you know, we don't have anything like JobKeeper. Um so that that created a a, a real kind of easing of pressure on all of our business and things like that in that. You know, we had significant money coming in to look after our staff. Um, And we've kind of, we've had to double our workload this time around. I mean, you know, we, as we got some green shoots and we saw some things happening, more people were putting on shows, the venue's capacity started to increase. Uh, And so we started booking and we hustled and we pivoted and, you know, we changed things around. Um, And then this time... We've again had to cancel everything, reschedule everything, losing shows. But this time around, there's no future. There's no hope. There's no, hey, this is when it will all be over. So fighting for 16 months, thinking you're working towards something, then having it all taken away again with no, hey, I know it's bad, guys, but it'll be okay because in whatever time, you know, you'll be back to normal. Our whole industry is sitting here right now still with no idea when we go back to
1: 100%. Shadow Minister for the Arts, huge music fan and part-time muso, the Honourable Tony Burke.
2: Look, I just think it hits so much harder because we all thought we'd been through it. So we got to the end of 2020. We, we all thought, okay, the vaccines will start arriving, we'll have a way through 2021, you know, by the middle of the year, everyone will be vaccinated and we'll be on the way out. And, you know, we are paying a huge price for the fact that the, the purpose-built quarantine was never set up and the vaccine rollout, like, has just been so unbelievably slow. And, yeah, you know, it's like last year... So many people did it really hard. And particularly in Victoria, people did incredibly hard work uh, and a heap of sacrifice thinking that it would help us get to the other side. And, yeah, we needed the government, to or the, the federal government, to organise the vaccines and to get it done. Uh, they didn't. And now Sydney's going through something that may well end up being worse than what Melbourne went through last year. Uh, it's a, a more virulent strain, but uh, and, yeah, it spreads like wildfire. Uh, but it's the exact same vaccine to deal with it. And if the, if the vaccination program had happened, yeah, what? maybe if I put it this way, it never occurred to me last year that I'd be turning on the TV, watching gigs in Europe and America, and that they would somehow end up in front of us Even though last year it looked like we were doing everything right and it all comes back to that vaccine rollout and not having purpose-built quarantine.
1: Leading Australian artist and influential voice in explaining to governments the plight of artists at the beginning of the pandemic, Alex Leahy.
3: Um, It feels more frustrating. I feel like the element of fear is kind of subsided slash almost... Uh, completely dissipated compared to last year. But there's definitely just so much frustration given that, you know, there is uh, access to vaccinations. We're watching, um, you know, our peers overseas kind of get back to touring and kind of going back to what seems like a more like normal um, day-to-day life as an artist. Um, And yet we're kind of still sort of waiting to get our... Um, communities and country um, and states and borders back to a, a, a place where we can have a bit more freedom of movement and, and freedom of opportunity as well as artists. So yeah, just overall like pretty frustrating and 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 I think um, I think we're all getting a little bit impatient.
1: Responsible for two of Australia's largest festivals, Splendor in the Grass and Falls Festival, both cancelled during COVID, alongside a label and management company, Paul Patico.
4: Hi, Tiana. Um, well, it's uh, you know the last eighteen months have felt like eighteen years in some ways, and eighteen days in in other ways. So, um, t- the twenty twenty one, this the current state of affairs as we are at this minute. I think in some ways for our business and for a lot of people in the music industry, or the live the live sector of the the music business, um, is is potentially worse than we were right at the beginning. Um, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, everybody was, you know, shocked and taken aback, and there was, you know, uh, mass closures and cancellations, and everybody was stunned by it. But we had this sense of um, optimism that there was help on the way. Uh, the government was making noises very early on that they were going to put in a rescue package, and, and JobKeeper started pretty promptly. And, and And I think that saved saved a lot of businesses at that time. We also one of the big differences between now and then. Um, Back then there was a lot of consumer empathy. And I think audiences that love music really wanted to support music and were hanging on to their tickets. And um, uh, But obviously, you know, to a year and a half, to, to maybe coming up to two years potentially by the end of the year, um, you know, getting people to hang on to tickets, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing. So, um, yeah, I think those two things have changed. I think also, it's, you, know, you know, stating the obvious, we, I think the music industry is quite resilient. Um, has been very strong, but there's a there's a limit to what everyone can take. And you know, I'm seeing people's mental health, particularly uh, anxiety, stress related, and you know, um, COVID and all the implications of the businesses closing and uh, mounting debt. And uh, you know, there's no more reprieve from the banks. There's no more leeway being given by landlords if you're a venue. Um, it's all mounting and it's become a bit of a perfect storm i think for a lot of businesses and really seeing um, you know that's since March 31st cut off of jobkeeper that that's that trend has just been a, a downward one and thoroughly just topped off by the uh, recent lockdowns everywhere in this in the delta variant so um, not to be you know overtly gloomy about it but it's certainly the I find for me personally and for everyone i speak to in my business the most challenging time we've had since the beginning, we um, we saw this pretty early. I think we knew kind of by February um, that it was coming, and and we made plans for it. But I, I honestly, at the time, thought it was a six to nine month thing, and it we'd all be back to normal before the end of twenty twenty, or we hoped. And optimistically, I think um, myself and 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 Jess, my partner, have been putting. Uh, opportunities in place for what we conceive as the nearest potential opportunity um, to do so. And, you know, for a while there with the virus under control in this country, we could tour and we could see small shows in, in, um, in restricted environments happen. And it did meet that gap between JobKeeper and the bottom line. But that's gone now and I think that, you know, the, there's the inability, the JobKeeper's gone and also the, there's no ability to do shows. So, um, yeah, I think I, at first I was, um, I thought it might be over in six to nine months and then that's that's pushed out and now I, I think that we've got, we've still got another, probably another six to nine months at least um, before things uh come back to any kind of what what whatever the new normal is.
1: Someone all too familiar with losing festivals and the nightmare that comes with that territory while also supporting live music as a board member at the ALMBC. Director of Untitled Group, Nicholas Greco.
5: Yeah, I think um you know, last year it took a little while to get over the initial shock of what was going on, but we had the support of JobKeeper to keep us going and no one really launched any events last year so we hadn't had that risk and that financial outlay um you know we had had the summer where things started opening up people built a bit of confidence and a lot of events and tours and festivals had been announced for 2021 so i actually think we're in a worse position last year because we've had to go through so much cancelling so much postponing um and every time we go through that there's sunk costs there's refunds there's time and energy exhausted um it's, it's depressing. <laughs>
1: When we lost the ability to go to gigs, she responded by setting up a streamed festival on social media. Emily Ullman, manager of Isolade and programmer of the Brunswick Music Festival.
6: It's a good question. I guess as a Victorian, we're not sort of in a mammoth uh, unending lockdown at the moment. So that's, um, you know, that's heartening, but definitely feeling for the people who are um, and, you know, it just feels like we're sort of always on some sort of precipice of going back into a lockdown. So um, yeah, it's tricky. And as and you know, feeling for the industry, I guess the difficulty at the moment is that you can't really plan for anything because borders are sort of opening and closing at any given moment. So it's not like you can um, plan any sort of national run or, or situation at all, given that you know one area, one border might be open at one time and then close at another. But, um, you know, running an online festival like Isolate, obviously those borders and and things don't um, impact at all, which is a relief. Um, But, yeah, just definitely feeling for the rest of the country. And, you know, I also program Brunswick Music Festival, as you mentioned at the beginning, and just trying to make plans for that in March and just sort of not having any idea what capacities will be like, will borders be open, you know, what the situation will be. Um, It just makes it really tricky in every way. And I think like that just impacts upon um, everything, including sort of mental health and trying to stay positive and um, motivated. It's just really tricky. A man
1: who has actively sought to keep skills and business in the music industry throughout the pandemic, Dean Ormston, CEO of APRA AMCOS.
7: Yeah, look, I think uh, think it does feel uh, different probably from an industry point of view as as well as from what I hear uh, by artists and, and and people in our industry uh, I think this time last year we were sort of understanding what COVID was and and we pretty clearly understood it was going to mean the immediate shutdown um, of of everything live for a start um, what we learned last year was that there was a domino effect from that so um, the economics weren't just around live it, it spread but we also thought well there'll be light at the end of the tunnel and um, things will reopen and we will be able to do things in a progressive way and get the industry going again whereas I think this time it's hit people a lot harder I mean there hasn't been the same immediate support there that came through quite quickly last year that's picking up but I think um I think people have lost a lot of confidence and so the idea of how long will recovery take, I think people are really sceptical about. Um, I think the industry has felt in real crisis, um, real lack of confidence and that's that's leading to a lack of capacity and, and I think concerns around how sustainable will it be and how do we rebuild and what's that going to look like. So a, a lot more questioning and Uh, a lot more thinking around what does a reopening plan look
1: like. As Head of Support Act, guest Clive Miller has perhaps held the most important role in the live music business in the past year, allocating and dishing out funds to the music communities who need it most.
8: Look, I think in many ways ways it feels like, you know, we're really back at square one uh, when it comes to the pandemic and its impact on the industry. Uh, We had that wonderful moment of reprieve in the first part of the year when I think it felt like, you know, the tide had turned and we'd achieved, you know, some level of elimination or suppression of the the virus. But, of course, that proved to be a bit of a mirage. And, uh, you know, now we're right back in the thick of things. But I guess I would say that, um, you know, compared to last year, well, obviously we know more uh, this time around, uh, you know we know for example the kind of help that we need from the government and I think we have built uh, really good and strong relations with government at both federal and state levels so we can have those conversations and 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 many people are. Uh, so I think that that's um, you know that's a that's a positive. Uh, I guess we know um, what the impact of Uh, lockdowns and restrictions are when it comes to people's financial and mental well-being as well, and how we might try and mitigate those impacts. And uh, I think we have a a stronger sense of the kind of strategies that can help uh, get everyone back to work. So, you know, there are, you know, definitely, I guess, some learnings and um, some positives um, this time around. I guess as far as support act is concerned um you know we've um you know we've really been able to scale up uh in the past year uh we've gone from you know literally you know a staff of you know just two social workers we i think we uh currently have um you know maybe twenty social workers and admin and finance staff staff um, working to help us we've We've actually approved more than five thousand requests for crisis relief um, in the last twelve months. Uh, What we've actually had to do is develop systems and processes to go from being, you know, a very small little cottage charity to, uh, you know, being, I guess, more medium sized in terms of the number of staff and uh, just uh, it's been actually a great learning experience, I think, for all of us to, to kind of constantly, you know, be looking at how to improve our processes to become more efficient and make sure we're getting uh, the money out the door as quickly as possible. So I would say compared to last year, you know, we're much better equipped to be able to uh, do that job as well.
1: Perhaps the only person who decided on a career in the music business in the past 12 months New Aria Head, Annabelle Hurd. Well, I've been in the role for six months now.
9: So I wasn't in the industry last year. I was obviously an observer and a music fan who, you know. Felt that huge loss of not being able to go to live music and events. Um, But what I can say is, you know, when I started in February, I did feel like there was a real sense of optimism. I think we all thought that by October, November this year, 21, people would be vaccinated and the summer music season would be raring to go. Um, But that is so far from where we are right now, sitting in Sydney in particular today in lockdown. Um, Confidence which was really already quite tenuous before we went into these lockdowns because of the Blues Fest cancellation and, you know, all of the snap border closures and the lockdowns and, that have been ongoing for 18 months. Confidence was just not there. And, you know, after these lockdowns, I think people, there's a real sense of overwhelmed, feeling overwhelmed. You know, what do we do? What on earth is the next six
1: months going to look like um, from today? Imagine VIP fans waiting for an Ian Moss check three hours before the show and being told it not only won't go ahead, but the gig is also cancelled. It happened to this man, PR guru and artist manager Chris O'Hearn.
10: Last year it felt like everybody, like when it first started, we were all in lockdown together and nobody had a choice. Uh, and when I say we're all together, every state. So the country was kind of in lockdown at the same time. Um, and so, you know, we didn't really have a choice but to do that. Now it feels really fragmented. Um, You've got some states in lockdown, you've got some states who aren't, you've got some borders that open, some states you've got some, you know, and it's very, very difficult, you know, in this current climate to actually plan anything. And when you do get into it, it really does do your head in, you know, and, and I, you know, I'm not... Uh, I don't think in our industry we're alone in that concept. I think it's very difficult for anybody to run any business under the under the conditions that we're currently having to tolerate and put up with. So, yeah, I, I, I would say that for me personally it's worse now than it was this time last year for sure. I always earn on the side of caution. Um, I'm very lucky to share, to work out of a building in, in Darlinghurst and, you know, there are other management uh, companies in, within that building. Um, and so it's great to sort of bounce what we're all going through off each other. But I was always very much of the opinion that, you know, I wasn't at all surprised in, in, say, December last year when it all went south once more here in Sydney. And it just feels like the complacency level had really slipped in and kicked into overdrive. Yeah, we all want it to be better. We all want to go out and see our friends. We all want to see our families. We want to spend time with our children. Um, and so, and it's summer and we're meant to be outdoors at summer. That's, that's what Australians do. And, of course, we weren't seeing what we were seeing back in March and February, and that was the things that were happening in places like Spain and Italy, um, particularly in New York City as well. And we're all going, we don't want that shit here, so we'll do whatever you want us to do. But come December, it's like, yeah, whatever, and then, you know, and then that kind of happens. We get into the new year and f- for the most part it starts to feel pretty good. And so we'd made a lot of plans. Um, you know, one of my artists um, was planning on having a down year anyway, in some respects was writing for new record. Um, we had a lot of plans to, uh, with, with Ian um, with Ian Moss and he was, uh, he had a lot of, plan- we had actually, he got through his rescheduled tour from last year, 16 shows without a hiccup. And we're thinking, okay, this is good. We had some dates booked in June. Good. We've got Monday, Monday bash and, you know, Blues Fest coming and we've got a tour at the end of the year with Troy Casa daily It's all going to be great, right? No. Nah. <laughs> and so fast forward to early June, and it all starts to go pear-shaped one more time. I mean, you know, we out of the five shows in capital cities that Ian was doing, um, you know, two of them were sold out. The other three were probably, I don't know, 40, 50 tickets from selling out on each of those occasions. Um, we, we had to move two of them, one of them being Brisbane. And it was frustrating for us in Brisbane because we got through Adelaide, Perth and Sydney. We just got through Sydney actually. And the following week, Emma' in Brisbane. And I had to come home because they changed the policy about when you could be in Queensland and all that. Ian is at the venue on the Saturday afternoon. He left a week before. He's in the time frame. Where he, we, well, he because they hadn't backdated it. He was he was fine to be there. As was his sound engineer. It was a solo acoustic show. It's been sold out for months at the Powerhouse. Um, we've got VIP fans out the front waiting to come in and watch Ian sound check. Our support act had done her sound check and then at 2 o'clock in the afternoon Gladys makes the announcement that we're going into lockdown. The Queensland government then go, we're backdating it. As well, 6 o'clock tonight we're in lockdown in New South Wales. The Queensland government, in fairness, had been pretty good in the sense that they've kind of given you to like midnight to get, you, get your house in order. But on that day they went, no, nah, fuck it. And so they, I was on the phone at Queensland Health, the venue, and they weren't having a bar, now it's probably fair, to, it's probably worth noting here two things. One, um, uh, both Ian and Gabe had, had, were tested for COVID before they left Sydney and both tests were negative. Ian at that point in time was already fully vaccinated and it didn't matter squat. So the question of that is, and I know um, on the same night, five kilometres down the road in the valley, hockey dad were doing a show. They came off stage before they went back for their encore and told they couldn't go back on. Now, I heard that story on the Sunday. I didn't believe it, but I spoke to Ben, their manager, on the Monday, and he confirmed it. The next night, you've got Suncorp Stadium packed. And so it's very frustrating when you kind of get to that point of planning and you know, putting everything in order and 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 flights and all this crap that goes the, with the world that we all bought out, but we bought ourselves into. You know, we signed up for it, no problem at all. But when you get that close, and I was begging with them to say, "Please, for the love of God!" Like if, I said to them, if we were having this gig was tomorrow night, we're not only having this conversation, but we're in the bloody venue. So it cost us. We had to pay for all the production. We had to pay our Our lighting guy and our front of house person, uh, our our lighting guy, just to clarify, is from Queensland, so there was no issues there. It was two people there was a problem with. And both were tested before they left Sydney. Both were negative and one of them was fully vaccinated and it didn't matter squat. So I don't know.
1: You hear that and it almost sounds too, it almost sounds like a comical farce. Like it's like something you'd see in a movie and you're like, like for comic effect because it's utterly Almost it, it, of that sublimely ridiculous it it,
10: it felt like watching an episode of yes minister <laughs> to be honest yeah but, and, and 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 if it wasn't so real and and so and 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 what it puts you through, it would be actually be slightly funny, but it's far from funny, you yeah. know and it really is but, but you're right it, it you, you sometimes you can't make this shit up, but when you are in the venue and you're asking for three hours before showtime and they just say no, that's when the lack of common sense, which I believe in some quarters throughout COVID, has been completely and utterly ignored. And I'm not saying I don't want to bend the rules. I came home on the Friday because they said, look, you know, we're actually going to backdate this now. I thought, okay, I've got to do the right thing. I'm going to come on home. And I knew I was coming home into a city that was probably that was going into probably into lockdown, and it did the next day. So I could have stayed up there, but no, I'll do the right thing, come home. And so, you know, it's, it's just very, very difficult when you sort of get this lack of common sense that kind of says, you know what, every other thing we've announced this week, we've kind of made it to 1am tomorrow morning. It's like, okay, well, let's just get these shows done. You can do it. But after that, you're out of here and done. And we would have gone, no problem at all. You know, Ian is still actually currently in Queensland. Oh, wow. And he's been there since uh, mid-June.
1: No one on the panel sells more tickets or relies on ticket sales more than AusTech CEO Brian smash Cladil.
11: Oh, thanks, Tiana. Uh, Hello. Um, It's actually more demoralising than it was last year. It's worse now than it was last year because... At least last year, there was still a sense that by the year's end it'd be it'd be over. But as the year dragged on, we realised COVID wasn't going to go, to go away, and we've all got that we all got that sinking feeling. And um, the new year came and went, but there was you know we were seeing some light in the tunnel with some states really opening up, like WA and Queensland. This time though, with these multiple lockdowns and massive losses, everyone in touring and festivals are suffering and A gross negligence where the new virus strain has been able to run wild and the inability of the feds to source and distribute the vaccine effectively. It's all compounded to create a really dark place for the music industry. I wish I didn't have to say that, but I've tried to generally be a positive person. But unfortunately, it's pretty grim out there for a lot of our colleagues, you know.
1: A dynamic force behind recent research and advocacy for the value of arts and creativity. Adrian Collette, CEO of the Australia Council.
12: Um, It feels worse, to be honest. I think, uh, I mean, I'm certainly not despairing and the organisations and artists we speak to are not despairing. Extraordinary, extraordinary kind of perseverance and energy, which we saw in the early part. But it is harder, you know, it's, um, you look at, musicians and artists of all kinds who did so much. You know, one of the big things coming out of last year was how quickly the sector showed it wanted to be engaged. It wanted to be engaged and the ingenuity was quite extraordinary and we're learning a whole bunch of things which will inform the future about that. But I think it's it's simple at one level. Its resources are thinner than they were. And I think people are a bit exhausted. <laughs> you know, I think they're both fractious and exhausted and uh, they're having to do it all again. So just as a point of human sympathy, uh, I think it's it's harder. More more um, materially speaking, I suppose, uh, all the work the Australia Council did amongst its kind of constituent parts, and as you know even better than I, the whole entertainment and cultural sector is so variegated, so wonderfully various, that there's never going to be one size fits all. But but all the work we did with government, with organisations, all the stimulus funding that was put in place was all premised on markets and the country opening up. And I guess The tantalising thing is we got close. It was far from perfect, (laughs) but, you know, we got close. Theatres were back at 100% capacity. People were starting to understand that small gigs and smaller venues needed something different. And the wonderful thing we saw both in our research but actually even more importantly, in fact, is wherever anyone was doing quality work, whether it was you know, small music venues or large venues or festivals, people were really rocking up. They were absolutely ready for this, you know? Um, So I think that goes to the way we're all feeling. It's like having to start again. But my point is all the packages were assuming things were opening up. And frankly, in our biggest state, in our biggest economy, and pretty much still in Victoria, which will open up gradually, we're back in incubation. So the policies don't fit. And I think that's the rethinking I know is going on. You know, it's, it's very hard when you're in the front line and you've lost your gig and you've lost, you've lost your livelihood. It's very hard to accept this. But I, I do know the thinking is going on. How do we readjust our thinking from opening up to, again, seeing us through this critical period.
1: The driving force behind the Australian music industry's peak body for artist managers, Maggie Collins, Executive Director of the Association of Artist Managers.
13: Well, for me, um, it's like last year I was really scared, I have to admit, like because this pandemic came along and all I knew about that was um, horror movies about um you know zombie apocalypses and stuff like that so it was hard to hard to manage that i think that may be the one of the only differences and 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 thankfully i haven't been affected by covid myself and any close loved ones haven't been so it's been very lucky um so that's the that's the pen that's the the actual virus itself but I think things are so much worse now for the industry compared to last year. I think, like you know, one of the things that we didn't know about last year was every we didn't know what was going to happen. Now we thought we had a plan. We thought we were on our way to something to salvation, and then. Um, and We're just in a we're, it, yeah. It's gone backwards completely. Um, you know, the virus that's uh shutting down multiple different states uh just continues to wreak havoc, and um, you know, New South Wales has is going to be uh locked down for another four weeks, or at least Sydney is. Um, I think we're we're, we're a bit more fit, like we we understand the situation, but we don't but but we're getting really tired, like the, it's dire, it's really dire. There's lots of people out there who I'm really concerned about their mental health and how much they're working and not getting paid and, yeah, it's really hard.
1: In charge of two of Australia's most important live music venues and Powderfinger member, John J.C. Collins, owner of the Triffid and co-owner of the Fortitude Music Hall in Brisbane.
14: Yeah, look, I think this year's uh, actually harder for some reason. I think last year we didn't. I suppose we're optimistic that uh we would be out of it sort of towards the end of the year or coming in the new year um and i think there was you know that sense of this is new we had to move shows and we get through it and i think this year with the non- you know with the wage subsidies um not being around and uh and the situations we find ourselves in the country at the moment it just feels really difficult and um feels a lot harder it's a lot more uh, there's a lot more mental strain with the with my team A lot of fatigue in the industry. I'm sure that's a pretty consistent message you've been getting. Yeah, it actually feels a little bit bit harder that we're still here a year on, well and truly 18 months on.
1: And now the person who perhaps cut it the finest of all in the music industry and lost the most at the very last second, hemorrhaging an estimated $181.2 million in his 2021 economic impact statement, Blues Fest Festival director Peter Noble.
15: Oh, last year was very different. I mean last year I think that COVID um, the public health order was around March 15 I believe and we were three weeks out of our festival <clears throat> it was a shock nobody knew the future but we soldiered on um, there was of course a huge loss in our industry financially and of co- and the blow was also psychological. And we all thought back then that, you know, six months will be out of this. Everybody was rescheduling their events by about that time. So that has not come to pass. Um, we rescheduled by a year only to find that we were closed the day before our event last Easter by a public health order on Basically, precaution. There was nobody who bought a ticket to our festival that anybody was aware of that was COVID positive. One person who lived about a 35-minute drive away was a positive, and that was the reason given for that closure. That was heartbreaking. Heartbreaking for our industry and, of course, for us because the confidence went out. How do you put a show on when the government can close you down the day before? It was wrong, and I am advised by senior members of government that has been deeply reviewed. There must be good, solid reasons to close events down. Um, We've lost a fortune, and it's just the way it is. However, you have to be confident. You either go, I'm going to give up. We're going to wait it out. We're going to see what happens. We're going to do virtual events or whatever. Uh, but there's nothing like live music. There is nothing to compare with live music. There's nothing that is a facsimile of live music that, that, that can equal it. You know, it's the experience, it's being there, it's hearing the best talent in the world. Um, and for Blues Fest, who just got voted by Polestar in the Festival of the Decade, top 10 events in the world, um, of course we got beaten. Coachella did it to us this time. It's normally Glastonbury. But to be even seen like that, but I think there's a reason why we're seen like that around the world. And that's why I brought it up. This is not not an ad break. Um, What I'm kind of saying is when one really loves what they do, and I know my team does, I've got guys who come up to me in my company and go, you know, I've been with you for 21 years. I go, no, I don't. I'm too old to remember. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> so, but um, but my point being, I look at my team of people who are dedicated professionals at site management and putting events on, and that's what happens in our industry. We're now going through another phase. We've got a, a highly, you know, a strain of cold delta that's closing us down again, and it would seem that the next three or four months are going to be very difficult in our industry. I don't want to sort of say that Bluesfest is not on or anything. However, let's just face it, you know, everybody sees what happens in New South Wales at 11 o'clock every morning, and it's going the wrong way. We We can't have events occurring in a world where A highly transmissible variant of COVID is the predominant form. We also know that as we get on top of things such, disease such as COVID, mutation follows regularly. This may not be the only one. This one is getting to a point where children are being heavily affected, children are young children are dying in parts of the world where i get reports every day which is indonesia my wife being indonesian children as young as six from Belka are dying people in their 20s and 30s it's they're not protected
1: and do stay with us after this short break our COVID 19 music industry roundtable continues back after this
11: steve bell here I present the Handshake Agency Podcast Rewind. Each series takes you back to a moment of musical heritage as we present oral histories about great albums of our time from the people who made them. If, like me, you have a geek-like curiosity about your favourite artists, track down Rewind with Steve Bell at thepodcast.com.au, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favourite shows.
1: While the undeniable sentiment across the board from our panel has highlighted that for most of us, we are truly in a worse situation right now than we were in 2020, there have, of course, been some minor wins to be had amid the seemingly endless hurdles that the industry continues to face. And perhaps unsurprisingly, this leads us into the prevalent topic of government funding, government support in general and the true financial impacts in and around the industry that spans well beyond the current COVID epicenters. And these impacts appear to be very likely ongoing well into 2022 as the industry sits nervously in limbo after the year truly from hell for creatives and the people who work within these sectors. While the government's latest RISE grants were announced in the middle of us recording with our panel, the larger question still remained. How many other sectors in Australia have been forced into reduced income streams with no end currently in sight? What has been the onflow effect financially for organisations and artists in the industry? Do people in the music industry feel supported by the government? And are the current government financial measures in place enough? From the RISE grants to the loss of JobKeeper and general financial fallout across the board, to how ARIA and APRA AMCOS themselves have worked to support the industry. Where is the music industry at financially at this point? Are we truly all in this together? Annabelle Hurd.
9: Look, I come from a long background of, um, you know, lobbying, regulatory work. I was a lobbyist for the free-to-air commercial television industry for a while and, you know, not they're pretty good lobbyists, I would have to say. So I've used every single skill and experience that I have to try and advocate for the industry to get, you know, the support that we need, the financial relief um, throughout the year. But especially right now, um, I'm working really hard with a great coalition of people from across the industry who are just collaborating and we all want to achieve the same outcome. Um, So, you know, I feel like that's something that Aria has been able to do and that I've been able to do um, during this really, really tough time for live music. Look, there's so many pieces to this puzzle. Um, There are so many components to why the music industry is in the state it's in at the moment and also facing a pretty difficult six to 12 months. And it's state and federal government related issues. So it's quarantine for bringing in international artists or, you know, having our artists go and come back into the country. It's border closures and lockdowns, which mean national touring just, you know, I can't think of a single national tour that's actually gone ahead. It's events and gigs that have been rescheduled four, five, six times with all of the costs that comes with it. And then you've just got, you know, the businesses and, and individuals in this industry who haven't had an income, who haven't had any revenue because, you know, so much of the revenue is an income is derived from live music and merch sales and promotion and everything else, none of that's happened. So there are many ways government needs to intervene. With the rapidly evolving situation at the moment, we desperately need help on a couple of fronts. We need help to cover those postpon- postponement costs from the current lockdowns. But more importantly, we need some help to underwrite the risk that people are going to take to put events on in the next six months at least. I mean, why would any promoter or organiser put a tour on or even, you know, put tickets on sale for an event in the next three or four months, five months? Why would, you know, there's no consumer confidence there to buy the tickets. Um, And do you really think the event's going to go ahead? The chances are so slim. So we need governments to step in, help underwrite that risk, and allow us to take some chances to put some events on over the next six months and get people out of their houses and back into the economy, really?
7: Yeah. Uh, look, we've, uh, we'll have be reporting our uh, end of financial year figures for the 2021 year in, in September. And um, when you look at our overall figures, things look okay because digital has remained really strong. So people are listening to Spotify and Apple and YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. So the digital world has has gone on. But if you look at the live section of our business, there's a dramatic dramatic drop in that space. And this time last year, we were reporting that um, the live music section of our industry was operating at about 4% of pre-COVID activity. And we did all of those calculations again a few weeks ago prior to the Sydney and New South Wales lockdown and we were sitting at about 12%. So we'd seen there was a a little bit of a move, not not a lot, um, from 4% to 12%. um, And we were reporting that to government to say whilst earlier this year things started to pick up a bit and we're seeing gigs reappear, tours start to be announced, we get up to 12%. Then we've had this last lockdown, the one that we're in now, um, and it's all falling off a cliff again. So um, if you're looking at the overall financial impact, we say that in that 12month period, so from July last year through July now, we think it's about two billion dollar loss across the entire industry. If you look at the breadth of the live music and events industry, we say it's out there. Um, and you know yeah, your activity is sitting somewhere you know around the 10 to 12 percent mark at the moment. Um, so it' look it's, it's really tough and especially for, if you look then at, you know, it's one thing to look at the big numbers, it's then another thing to look at a particular person, somebody who is a, a live-performing artist in our business and that's what we've got to keep our eye on. For those people, it fell off a cliff. There's nothing happening for them at the moment. So, um, you know, th- they wouldn't even hear the 12% return to acti- you know, pre-COVID activity. They're saying, well, nothing's happening for me. So it's the impact is dramatic. Yeah, look, I think... Um, you know, if, if you look at try and look at the positives, and it's really important, I think, for, for us all to sort of go, okay, well, what did we learn from a year ago? What can we do better now? I think last year, um, the industry came together quite quickly to, to sort of umbrella itself under live music and events. Um, we teamed up with uh, people from the, the more the events part of our industry, so theatre and uh, larger scale productions, all the way through to people playing in a pub. And we approached the government under that umbrella and we were successful in getting the government to acknowledge that things like JobKeeper hadn't been tailored to look specifically at how a live performing artist works. So we got some work done there. There were still people that fell between the gaps, but it worked at a macro level. We got funding through for Support Act, um, so that crisis response. So we were looking at it very quickly as you need crisis support, you need cash flow support through wage subsidies, And then we need to start looking at recovery. Um, Earlier this year, we were back talking to the government to say, well, hey, this is dragging on longer than everyone expected. And we got further um, funding commitment to put through the RISE grants program, uh, which has been really important as a catalyst for people looking down the track to say, I can go and apply for a grant or funding to look at that tour I might do down the track. What we're saying to the government now is that funding through RISE is still really important. But you've got a problem if you actually can't put it on because there's a lockdown or a state border closure or international border closures. You can't do any of that. And our call at the moment under this same sort of umbrella, like going as one industry and as one voice to government, is to say we need business insurance. We need a government underwritten business insurance that says if if something has to be shut down for health reasons and we all understand that, then there is some remuneration or recompense to the fact that I'm now out of pocket and my events being postponed or cancelled. So uh, I think as an industry we've learned a lot around you're much better to go to government with one voice where you can articulate the problem in a few bullet points and and even better if you can also articulate what you think the solutions are. Um, And at the moment, we're having weekly meetings across the industry. Everyone's welcome. It's an open forum to share information and for us to tease out what we think uh, are the best things to be going forward and talking to state and federal government about. A lot of the discussion around insurance or a business interruption fund had been had at a state level, but our conversation with the federal government has been... We get the logic of that, but we're a national industry and if you're planning a national tour, you can't be dealing with three different state jurisdictions about insurance. People will and are going mad. So uh, we're hoping we might be able to get some traction at the, at the national and federal level.
2: There's lots of sectors that are taking a huge hit, but uh, music sector, live performance, was the first to be shut down and has been has been the last to be thought of with every proposal that the government's come forward with. Uh, like, even at the moment, the business support, that's here, like you, you mentioned Peter Noble. Now, yeah, Bluesfest is held at Byron. Uh, now, Byron's not locked down. So at the moment, the support is based on whether or not you're locked down. Now, if Sydney's locked down, they're not going to be able to hold an event. They won't be able to get enough people going there. Um, so you've got, or if you're an artist wanting to tour in Sydney's lockdown, you've taken a huge financial hit. But if you're not physically there, then you're not going to be eligible for the business support that's around at the moment because it's for people based in lockdown areas. So the whole presumption that the government's put on with the, as to how it interacts with the music industry, they presume that people go to the same workplace every day. And therefore, they can say, well, you're affected if you are locked down. If you're one of the food stalls, you, know, you, you might be based anywhere in Australia, uh, but you've effectively been locked down for a year and a half. Um, but, you know, and, and, so, and sometimes you've had false starts, like all the food stores had bought all their stock and everything. They'd all turned up to Blues Fest at, the at, at last Easter when it was shut down the day before. So the, the rules that we've got at the moment that say it's based on whether or not you're in a lockdown area just says up in lights they're not understanding the industry. First of all, can I just say um, the one policy the government did come up with was that Guy Sebastian announcement um, with the RISE grants. That was a year ago and they have still only spent half the money. So it wasn't the best way to spend the money in the first place, but it was something. But ultimately, that was just about the announcement. It was just about trying to get publicity and to leverage some star power from some artists who were doing the right thing. They were just trying to help the industry by being there. Um, But the government just hasn't cared. Only half that money's been spent. But the best way to spend money would still be JobKeeper and an insurance fund.
8: Well, look, we, um, I would say... Since uh, we introduced Music Keeper and Crew Keeper uh, at the uh, at the end of March, we have had I can tell you exactly, <laughs> uh, you know, we've had probably close now to four and a half thousand um, applications. So, you know, the last uh, you know the last few months have been intense, and uh, that's because you know those uh, grants were introduced really to act as a cushion. Um, when um, JobKeeper was uh, discontinued. So that was, you know, to help people uh, through that uh, recovery phase. Um, and uh, the value of, uh, you know, the, the, the grants that we have dispersed in that time is uh, over $5 million. I, you know, I think, uh, you know, the great thing is that, uh, you know, last year, I think, you um, you know, there was the JobKeeper program, so, you know, that provided a really much needed safety net for so many people. Um, you know, without that, I think that, uh, you know, people have um, obviously and, and uh, you know, I guess that combined with the fact that, you know, people that might have been living off savings or, um, you know, had other um, sources of income, uh you know, I, I, I think you know, because this is all going on for so long, you know, some of that uh, has obviously sort of dried up and and I think that's why we're seeing so many people turning to us at the moment. So I know there's a, a great level of appreciation um, across the industry for the role that Support Act is playing, not just in, in relation to crisis relief, but, you know, we've obviously been doing some great things in the area of mental health, uh, support as well. Uh, so, yeah, I think that, um, that uh, you know, there is a sense that, uh, you know, we, we are there to help each other. People are more confident, I think, now to reach out for help. And, you know, I have to say the other key player in all of this is the Australian government. And it's, it's because of them. And, you know, they've now given us $20 million um, and, you know, that's a, a fantastic uh, amount of money, but it's also, I think, um, you know, it, it's it's indicative of, you know, perhaps the faith that they have in um, the role that Support Act plays as well. So, yeah, I think it's, um, you know, in that context, it's not to, um, not to downplay that overlaying all of this is a lot of pain, a lot of, Um, you know, frustration, a lot of anguish uh, for people as they're dealing with, you know, very real issues of, uh, you know, in many cases, not having enough money to pay the rent, not being able to put food on the table, just not knowing, you know, how they're going to survive. Um, But hopefully, um, you know, hopefully uh, there is some sort of uh, light at the end of the tunnel and, and, and you know, options for people to reach out and get and receive help.
13: Yeah, well, it's constantly about, for me and my business, about looking at our runway, you know, like, okay, we've got this much in the bank, we've got this much out of planned activities, so we can last for this long. Um, and that was constantly changing. Um, you know, things are different because so it, it my, I have run a really small operation. Um, there's myself and my amazing employee, Jenna. And uh, my goal is to constantly just keep her employed and <laughs> just keep her here because she's, she's really, um, you know, amazing and um, necessary for the functioning of the business. And so for me, um, it's about, okay, well, I, I mean, but that's just within my business. There's also the artists. So the artists... You know, if my business can't exist, if their businesses aren't running properly, so um, yeah, we did have a plan financially to be better by now. I think everyone, no one expected that there would be the Delta version, Delta virus, uh, the version of it, and um, but also everyone expected that we'd be vaccinated by now, and that's a massive failure across the country, and the ramifications of that are diabolical. Um, you know, for everyone involved. I just can't believe we're still at square one financially. So um, we don't have JobKeeper this time as well. So that's that's a real issue, a massive issue at the moment. From the people I've talked to, it doesn't look promising. There are some really good opportunities um, that we still need to deep dive into to find out a bit more about. Say, for example, the Create New South Wales uh, funding that's been made available for them. that's a great opportunity for them. We're still figuring out how that applies. Um, But once again, that's for New South Wales. The music industry only works, it only functions properly if the entire country is functioning. And so this whole idea of, well, it's the state's decision to shut down, so therefore the funding should come within the state doesn't apply if you've got a Queensland band who was meant to be playing in that state and now can't so they've lost money or members live in different states so they can't even get together to play the different shows that they were meant to do. So um you know I, I think there's also with the, the rise funding that was um you know released and then topped up earlier this year, you know, that applies to people getting together and 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 playing playing live
0: shows. Oh it's that that question's an interesting one because there's a lot of areas that I do feel supported um if i put it in a comparison to before covid right we we had a very um dysfunctional relationship with government as an industry uh in fact predominantly non-existent um they didn't really understand our industry and we were You know, we're unregulated and we kind of just got in and did what had to be done. So I think that they have done well in short turnarounds of trying to, you know, be educated in a real short period of time um, and, and then worked towards trying to put packages together that would help us. But as far as specific packages, I think we still haven't gotten that right. And I think at, at state and federal level, there has been plenty of support. There's been some incredible things uh, like New South Wales had a, um, a live venue support package and they uh, put huge sums of money into venues in New South Wales. Uh, and I think something similar happened in Victoria as well. So things like that have been integral in keeping you know, the, the grassroots, the, the bedrock of what the industry is built on.
5: I think, as a percentage, would be down about like ninety-five to ninety-nine percent um, on on normal years. Like the loss would be in the millions, I would say, and it it's it's difficult to work through. Um, it doesn't even scratch the surface. The government support this year, um, it, it's it's really hard to to operate without that financial support and. I saw measures announced in New South Wales yesterday, which is great. Um, Hopefully that helps see them through the lockdown, but that's the sort of measures we need here in in Victoria. We might be out of lockdown, but our industry is still locked out of being able to operate. You know, we, we can't put on an event still now. We have no roadmap to when we can put on our next event with these current restrictions.
1: Federal Minister for the Arts, who on the day we spoke to him, handed out another round of RISE grants, the Honourable Paul Fletcher. So,
16: can I start by saying I certainly acknowledge the specific difficulties the music sector has had. You know, if you look at, say, on the one hand, theatre in most states, um, subject only to the recent lockdowns, theatre has been operating not too far off normal for much of 2021. So, Hamilton, for example, opened in Sydney in February with permitted to have 100% occupancy with face masks. Now, true it is. They've had to suspend because of the current lockdown in Sydney, but there's plenty of theatre, opera, dance and so on going on in capital cities that are not subject to lockdown, uh, you know, Brisbane, Perth, etc. cetera, and uh, I'm confident we'll see Adelaide and Melbourne coming back on, on stream. But music has some special factors, as music industry leaders have explained to me. Firstly, that a tour needs to get to all of our capital cities to make it worthwhile and that means you're subject to the rules of each state government and the vagaries of can you get in and then you can, can you get out and get to the next point, then there are additional complications in bringing in international acts, which also need to get to all or most capital cities to make it worthwhile. And so those have been uh, some specific challenges that music has faced. What we've sought to do from the Commonwealth point of view is tailor our RISE fund to better support music. So we've now cumulatively committed $200 million. Uh, So we initially announced $75 million in the RISE fund last year. We topped that up with another $125 million during the budget. And following some recent consultations, we've tweaked the rules to try and make it work better for the music sector. And indeed, just today I'm announcing uh, of that $200 million, a further $40 million being allocated to 82 individual projects and events and festivals and productions around Australia. Now, of that, over 50% is music, a particular push in festivals. So we've got 2.4 million for Blues Fest, which, of course, you know, tragically was shut down literally hours before they were due to start earlier this year, and that you know, really broke a lot of hearts. Um, but they're determined to come back, and we're committing 2.4 million to help them come back. Uh, The Falls Music and Arts Festival, we're supporting. The Meredith Folk Festival, the Good Things Festival. We're also supporting tours, uh, Guns N' Roses, Kiss, Keith Urban. Now, people might say to me, why would you put public money into tours of mega global acts? Well, the answer is, again, it's Australian promoters who are taking the risk, and tours like that generate a lot of jobs for people in the industry. You know, people in sound and lighting, um, roadies, Uh, but also ushers, uh, front of house, ticket office, security, catering. And so what we're trying to do is allocate our funding to support both uh, big-scale events, bearing in mind that hundreds of thousands of Australians cumulatively will go to shows like those, but also a whole range of smaller events. So long-winded way of saying we recognise music has some specific challenges. From a Commonwealth point of view, what we've tried to do is adjust the way that our funding works to support the music sector. One of the ways that the RISE Fund works is it's essentially putting money in the hands of promoters, uh, festival organisers and so on that they don't have to find from another source or from their own resources. And they know that the money's there and if, unfortunately, the event doesn't go ahead, if it's cancelled on COVID grounds, that's not money they have to repay. So you can think of it almost as a form of pre-insurance. It's helping de-risk shows and helping promoters make a decision, okay, we'll go ahead with this because some of our risk is already covered with this component of public money from the Commonwealth's Rise Fund. Can I acknowledge also that we're seeing state government support for the arts, including the music sector, and of course the New South Wales government committed a $75 million package uh, just two or three weeks ago. JobKeeper was developed in March and April of last year at a time when none of us knew exactly what the impact of the pandemic was gonna be. And you'd recollect that we were facing a nationwide shutdown. We knew it was gonna have a very severe economic impact. And so JobKeeper was designed to provide that certainty and particularly to maintain a connection between employers and employees. So money was being paid through the payrolls of individual employers. What we've now moved to is a more targeted system where if there's a Commonwealth hotspot declaration, you're then eligible for the COVID disaster payment, which has just been increased to $750 a week if you've lost 20 hours a week or more of work. Now, the advantage of that is that it's paid through Services Australia. It's a very quick process. You apply. Uh, If you're determined to be eligible, there are plenty of examples of people finding their first week's payment in their bank account within a matter of hours. So it is providing that key support. And indeed, for sectors like the arts and music, um, where there's a diverse range of employment arrangements, a lot of freelance, a lot of casual, um, in many ways this is um, a system that works well for people in those situations um, what it reflects is that we've moved on from a time when uh, there was a uniform national position and what we're now seeing of course is individual lockdowns uh, in individual locations where required and then coming out of those as quickly as possible and this gives us the capacity at the commonwealth level to provide that support to turn it on very quickly it's there targeted as needed and uh, delivered very efficiently and quickly through Services Australia. And then once it's no longer needed, uh, we can turn that off. So look, that's been a major part of our thinking uh, and important to make the point, the level of support at 750 a week now in those um, Commonwealth-declared hotspots, uh, you know, that's that's a pretty significant level of support uh, aimed at getting people through this pandemic.
6: JobKeeper last year in the beginning was a real lifeline, even though I was putting it all back into isolate to keep keep it running. But then I wasn't eligible because you actually had to demonstrate a reduction in income. But because I'm a contractor, I wasn't earning enough in the first instance to show the reduction in income, which was sort of like this negative loophole and didn't really sort of take into account the intricacies and the specificities of being in an arts industry like ours. So um, it's tricky. I think uh, some of the grants programs um, have been wonderful. Creative Vic and Australia Council have released some, you know, incredible packages and support for for the arts industry. But, you know, there are lots of barriers with those um, grants. I've applied for many and not been successful at all. And I think sort of saying the right things and using the right keywords, some of them are quite prohibitive um, and, you know, aren't accessible necessarily. So, but I don't think that's kind of like um, necessarily an overall kind of damning thing on the arts community. I think it's just like we're hamstrung to, um, the, you know, to be able to support as many people as possible and so there's only a limited amount of um, funds and so I think the government can do a lot more particularly the federal government I think that you know seeing capacities at sporting events um, being possibly you know largely unchanged and all of these allowances made um, for creating these sporting hubs like the AFL saw in Brisbane last year things like that I think you know where are the arts Hubs and bubbles for people to continue to rehearse and record and um, there have just not been any kinds of um, allowances or considerations for our special um, situation, which is, it's really disappointing.
15: When Blues Fest was cancelled at the last minute, ministers such as the Treasurer, the Premier, the Tourism Minister and I believe the Health Minister, all went, Blues Fest is going to be rescheduled. They actually announced that without even asking me because it was such a matter. That there was a lot of disagreement with what happened, and that's old all, that's all news now. That's last April. You know what I mean? That was March 31. So when you're talking three and a half, four months later, you, the, the cycle moves on, but people need to remember that. And they also announced through the Treasurer and then the Tourism Minister, that there would be a business disruption fund. Now, it's three and a half months later, guys. I'm calling on you. What's happening with it? It's three and a half months later. That, that fund was announced immediately on Bluesfest cancellation. Well, what's happening? We've also... We, we, we can't stop lobbying the... the the insurance scheme for for events has to happen, and the reasons it has to happen can't just be obfuscated by government. Banks aren't lending, so unless you're part of a major multinational investment in your event where you have access to funds, you, where do, where does the money come from the put events somewhere? And that ends up with the musicians the the production crews, everybody, how do they get a payday if you can't put an event on? You know, in the beginning, events have to be financed. That's how it works. I mean, I know that other promoters may do it on the smell of an oily rag, but in the end, you've got to be sure you can pay people should a worst-case scenario come along. Um, so just to finish that, yes, government came to my assistance That doesn't mean they did or did not fully pay me for all my losses. I'm unable to say more because of a confidentiality deed I've signed. But I don't believe that the process doesn't need real discussion. I think it does. Now, it was great. We were able to give musicians a large amount of money for that last-minute cancellation. We were able to pay everybody. We were able to pay the crews and that guys that put the circus tents up. That was great. But still, going forward, we need to know about those things. It's not this, oh, yeah, we're going to help you because we did something that all of a sudden that blew up in our face in the media. Um, we, 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 We need systems in place and we need the industry to call on it all the time. Now, I'm not going to go into states different situations, I'm concentrating on New South Wales where my event is located. Um, But we've got a, would you believe this, we have a report that's about to be announced next week. I'm just looking for it. It's sitting next to me somewhere. It's our economic impact survey from the cancelled event this year. And we still show that we brought millions of dollars to our state in turnover. Because when you get cancelled the day before, a hell of a lot of people are already at your site. <laughs> they're already on the way. They're, they're in Coffs Harbour driving from Sydney. They're, you know, they've, they've, they've flown over from WA. We, we sell we tickets everywhere. Um, so when I, when I release that next week, it's just like even when we don't happen, when we get cancelled that horrible way we did, we still bring money to the state. We still create jobs. And that's every reason why government should be listening. Now, when you drill it down to the poor person who's a musician, who hasn't had a show at that point last April in up to 12 months, the fact that those people, we we paid all the people that were the lower earners, up to 15K, we paid them, I think it was 60% of their money because... (laughs) And, you know, what? people wrote back to me and said, that's the only money I've earned in a year, even though I didn't play. But by doing what you did, you gave me hope. And, yes, JobKeeper's gone, and it's not coming back. And it wasn't great for many people. It wasn't good for all workers who are self-employed because they couldn't show the necessary details. I mean, my company couldn't get it. So, you know, not everybody was lucky enough to get JobKeeper. Um but I didn't let one of my 17 staff go. And I might have kept them back a few days, but what concerned me was that five of them left of their own volition. Two just decided they'd had enough, they'll retire. Younger people, it was generally mental health issues.
3: I mean, look, it's been been pretty immense. I, I don't know the actual, like hard figures on it but like just from a like qualitative perspective like it feels really significant um you know and especially moving forward now I, I was fortunate enough to be able to ca- claim JobKeeper at the time which was you know a real lifeline for a lot of us small business owners especially um but with that sort of having come to an end and um you know again that sort of more tenuous. Um, situations and I guess like literal like snap situations that are happening, um, it's really hard to project where money's going to come from moving forward. So like the ability to have any sort of like, uh, you know, cash flow predictions and actually like planning on spending and investing in your own business is really hard to do um, because we just don't know where the money's come from and when it's going to come. Um, you know, historically it's always been uh, the way with a lot of businesses where it's like, oh, we've got an expense coming up to do, say, like an uh, overseas tour or make a record or whatever, and especially for independent artists, the way that we would make money to fund that is to play shows in places that we know we're going to see profit. Um, but now as we're seeing, like even if you want to play a show in, in Melbourne or Sydney where that may happen, like, I mean, who knows if it's even going to go ahead. And so it's just so hard to project and rely on those opportunities to make money. Um, and therefore, really hard to kind of make plans into the future, um, you know, as to where you're going to spend it, let alone whether or not those like, you know, recording sessions and all that themselves can go ahead anyway. So, yeah. I feel like, I, I feel like for the duration of this pandemic, the entertainment industry at large has always said, like, from the beginning of like, things going into lockdown and being shut down, the entertainment industry has always said we're going to be the first to go down and the last to come back. And it is ringing true now. Um, We are definitely still going to be like the last to come back. And I don't feel like there has been adequate support uh, to kind of rectify that, you know, reality that we've been sort of saying this whole time. Um, and that is, um, you know, I would love to see something sort of more receptive to those facts. I do, um, I think it's been fantastic to see like a lot of like really large-scale funding, like RISE funding and all that stuff come through, but it, it sort of seems to me that I, fi- I do find it questionable at times when some of that funding goes towards um, international artists um, and I find like not only as an artist myself but also as like a taxpayer who like funds these public initiative like publicly funded initiatives, I don't kind of feel um, super confident in that decision. Um, I would really like to see like the funding be more directed towards um, you know artists and for there to be incentive for those organizations and companies who are receiving those funding that funding and then distributing it distributing it to artists. To be incentivised or at least um, held to some sort of quota as to how much of that money does go back into our industry.
4: I think we're all in the same boat, um, people working in the live sector particularly. Um, our, our record label and publishing company obviously haven't had anywhere near the, the losses that the live sector has. We're, you know, the live business is 80-90% down on what it, its levels of 2019. There is a camaraderie there but um, I guess it's a, a camaraderie, you know, a bond built in desperation, because um, we're all in, um, we're all in, in you know, in, it's fairly dire straits for us um, as an industry. So um, people are helpful and leaning on one another and getting support. But the reality is, we can't do shows, and without shows, we don't have income, and all the businesses that you know benefit from. You know, a dollar of ticketing money comes in the door, and there's booking agents and managers and tour promoters and event producers and the arts themselves and all the other myriad of services. You know, um, marketing people and so on that uh, that that flows down to, and uh, obviously, there's that 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 trickle down effect is is not happening. Tiana, I, I think uh, even though you know, for instance, Sydney's in lockdown and Melbourne was in lockdown till till yesterday. Um, it though inhibited travel for so many artists. You know, you know, forty or fifty percent of the country's artists or technical crew might be in one of those cities. So the ability to perform shows in other states, you know, they were closing their borders. The shows were canceling left, right, and center. So it wasn't. It wasn't just the lockdown effect. It was obviously the, the knock-on effect of being able to travel anywhere.
11: Yeah, we we um, we obviously contracted like everyone had to do with their business, and then. Uh, worked really hard to keep our core staff and sort of minimize the disruption to our sort of community of workers but you know unfortunately some some of them had to go and it's been terrible to do all of that when we've got had you know ostrich has always been such a great family sort of vibe so it's pretty tough but then we got through all that and we we're starting to see the light and the small to medium venue business was was really improving every week for the last few months until this last wave hit. And the New South Wales lockdown, you know, it's meant We've had to reschedule literally thousands of shows, like over a thousand shows all around the country because of that knock-on effect. The knock-on effect is devastating because the bands, you've got the bands in the lockdown city, they can't go out. And then you've got the, all the bands that are out there and they they want to come back and they can't come into the state that's locked down. So you get this sort of weird domino effect that goes out all around the country. And if you multiply that by everyone who was trying to do that, there's thousands of shows, no doubt about it. And, you know, the uncertainty is really what's killing everyone to try and get the energy and strength to go around again and do it all again, you know. That's the biggest challenge now is the uncertainty. I think they could be doing more, but I think one of our problems is that you know, everyone's got a different view. Every, all the organizations have a different view and of where, where and how we should receive support. And as a consequence, we're not going to the government as a united voice. We're going with disparate voices and disparate asks. And we're, you know, not, we're not going to get anywhere. That's how I feel until we all come together and do it together. You know, the federal government's got to be commended in some ways for RISE, and but then, you know, the distribution of the money that came out of RISE didn't, initially hasn't really helped the music business. It's helped a lot of creative industry, but it hasn't helped the music business very much. And that's got, I think that message has been, you know, pretty loudly and clearly communicated. And I think, I really think that, the feds, you know, are listening to that, which is great. So, you know, there is there is improvements and there's lots of lots of stuff that happening. But collectively, overall, we, you know, we can we just need more. And, you know, we don't need to be supporting the multinational companies. We need to be smalling supporting the small businesses, like a band who might be five employees and ten casual staff that they use. You know, they're the ones that need to help
12: look, if I look for another silver lining in this, and you have to, and, and I feel kind of impertinent even talking about it, uh, because there are so many, you know, every day you're just confronted by by very, very um, difficult stories, for artists in particular. Um, but I think the penny has really dropped with government about the importance of the creative industries, if I can put it that way. Um, <laughs> You know, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. I think, I think we in the sector have been arguing this for a long time, but I think for the first time I know the requests we're getting from Treasury, from big departments outside the arts portfolio, I think they've really started to twig about um, just how many jobs <laughs> are in the sector And all the allied economies, which we take for granted, but, you know, hospitality, tourism. We did a huge piece last year on cultural tourism to the regions. And just national tourism is worth upwards of eight and a half billion dollars to local economies. I mean, these are serious numbers. And, And so if we can get to the other side, then I think there is a very powerful piece of advocacy that won't fall on deaf ears because people have noticed. But, you know, you take nothing for granted. We have to get to the other side. So, look, there are there are promising longer term lessons to come out of this. Uh, but I think what we have to do, and I know the government is doing this, is readjusting again to think, well, we're back in incubation. And we saw yesterday some further income support for individuals being announced. We saw the business support packages uh, for New South Wales. Every state has got further support packages. So people are thinking on their feet, and I suspect this is going to go on to, for some time.
14: Yeah, well, I mean, we consistently do budgets with the venues, and it's like doing budgets with a team. You go, what what crystal ball should you like? You know, would you like to use? But our budgeting was more like that. We thought the first quarter would be you know we're getting back to a fairly better capacities domestic capacities in the venues uh we saw sort of we thought by now we'd be back to full full capacity with australian artists and with and probably the last quarter we budgeted for having international travel we're not there (laughs) that's that's so uh it really affects your cash flow and and, you know i've got people who know way more about those things than i do um it really affects your cash flow and how you do things and, and how tight you have to be and you know, you can't spend money at the moment. Um, it's about survival and trying to keep your staff employed as well. Trying to um, put, give, give artists an opportunity to play. Give our, mm-hmm. give our people who we work with our uh, production teams and everyone a wage. Let them get paid and just put as much on so people get paid and and you know min- minimise the losses. I suppose. Yes. Look, we've applied for probably every grant that's available to our industry. Um, We've had a couple, we've had we got the RISE grant, we got one of those for the Fortitude Music Hall for strings attached, which is, um, that was very useful. Look, but you, that goes back into the artist predominantly. That's not something that pays the rent or pays his staff. It's it's an activation for the industry, which is still a good thing. Um, uh, we did apply for a state grant uh, from the Arts Queensland that was just in around Easter, uh, post our lockdown and Easter. Um, I've been working with the state government um, on another round of grants for the industry, Predominantly for music venues, that was released two weeks ago. Um, we've applied for that, and that will be that will be helpful. But once again, it's it's a it is it, without without complaining about it, it's a band aid solution to a really big problem um, to our industry. The fact that um, you know these capacities and these regulations and and cl- border closures are crippling, and um, for us, it's about you know they are helpful because they get they, we still have to pay rent, we still have to do all the things that you normally do, but we, you know we're we're sort of back to trading around. 10, 20% at the moment, you know, so um, it's not looking great, we need more rescuing, I think we also need federal um, packages, more like JobKeeper, maybe call it something different um, you know, I'm happy to prove that if, you know, if it's 50% of your revenue is lost, you know, if that's the big gap and supply all the BAS statements, whatever it takes to make sure it goes to the people who need it, I think that was one of the criticisms um, probably last year that some of people got it without really probably needing it but there are definitely industries in that require it and we are definitely one of those. Yeah, no, look, we can't sustain this this border closure thing. I mean, we understand why, so it's, I'm not, I don't want to be challenged complaining about why we do things, um, but as a, as a business, we can't sustain it and the industry can't sustain it. We've just lost pretty much predominantly good part of two months shows because of, particularly because of obviously New South Wales. And um, you know we don't know when Victoria will open to Queensland again too. So um, they're, they're the big issues for us.
1: In part two of the Green Room's deep dive into the current state of the Australian music industry, I will be looking further with my panel guests into what many around the sectors believe should and will happen, both from a short and longer term perspective. But to start to bring part one to a close right now, I chatted about some other specific issues and topics that had risen to prominence throughout the last 15 to nearly 18 months of battle the industry has faced. Notably, the industry as a whole has struggled to understand the disparity between sport and music and the arts in general. As we all know to date, thousands of live music events have occurred with no COVID transmissions, and yet live music hasn't been extended the same exemptions that sport has been offered. For many of us, the suggestion has been to look at bubble type exemptions, similar to what we've witnessed with sporting events, or something as simple as implementing concrete crowd numbers at events just as a starting point. It has been obvious that state and federal governments have seemed to favour major sport over equivalent music festival and events, and I did pose to Paul Fletcher if there is a reason as to why this has been the case.
16: What I would say as Commonwealth Arts Minister is, look, uh, I have some sympathy for what music industry and indeed arts industry figures have said about this issue. the Detailed decisions are ones for state governments. The Commonwealth has control over, for example, arrivals into the country, albeit that that's closely coordinated with state governments on issues like uh, volume of arrivals into each international airport to then coordinate with quarantine. So we've certainly been working uh, through the levers that we have to facilitate and support Uh, for example, the arrival of arts and entertainment industry figures. And, of course, the other thing we've been doing is providing very extensive funding support. And uh, through the input from me and my department through the Prime Minister into the National Cabinet process, we have been putting these issues on the agenda, but ultimately the individual decisions are ones for state governments. Uh, I think there are some questions that state governments um, should um, give careful thought to. I'd urge them to give careful thought to the question of how we can make sure that the necessary health settings are neutral as between different sectors. And certainly what I want to see, what the Morrison government wants to see is music activities, uh, theatre, opera, dance, whatever it might be, Uh, able to carry on as much as possible.
1: On the flip side to the permeating uncertainty and grim realities many have faced and continue to face in the music industry, some slivers of hope still continue to pop up and we have constantly seen the industry almost immediately adapt and evolve, partly due to lack of an alternative choice, but dominantly providing indicative proof as to the entrepreneurial spirit of the industry and those passionately fighting to keep it alive. For Emily Ullman, the Isolate Online Music Festival was initially intended as a temporary and or interim venture, but it has burgeoned significantly into something so much more and it's also developed into becoming potentially an important resource for many teens looking to adapt or expand their own financial models.
6: Yeah, absolutely. So the first birthday was actually in March. So, um, yeah, so now we're sort of heading into the 18-month territory of that and, I think it's just a surprise because, you know, beginning an initiative like Isolate, it was just supposed to be a stopgap measure. It was never supposed to be part of the um, part of the norm and part of, um, you know, an avenue for, you know, a continued avenue for artists to connect with fans. Um, but in some ways it has been a lifeline and also it sort of um, demonstrated different models, um, financial models, I suppose, for teams to look at in terms of, you know, complementary to touring and merch and, um, you know, releasing music. Um, hopefully, I think streaming can supplement that, which could be a really lovely sort of side effect of COVID. Yeah. If there can be a lovely side effect, I don't know.
1: And as we have all witnessed throughout the very long months, the COVID pandemic has ultimately provided scope for many to think outside the box. Seen perhaps most recently with Splendour in the Grass going virtual and also embracing some virtual reality tech. And speaking with Adrian Collette, this forward thinking is something the industry has always had on the cards. We're just actually witnessing a fast track to the already evolving music future.
12: Splendour is really interesting. Uh, We were talking to them. We ran this kind of uh, digital forum or the future of arts and digital forum because, of course, everything that's happened over COVID, mostly through the ingenuity of, Of the sector and the artists has kind of just fast tracked everything that was happening anyway. And it'll be very interesting to watch Spender amongst many other examples. There have been some really good stories about how uh, investing in digital for those who can do it and and getting to a much broader audience and starting to monetize that has actually started to flow into artists' pockets. But this is so we want to get the best of that. And what I heard people want more than anything, is shared knowledge, shared platforms, because the cost of entry, unless you're a pretty big organisation, is still very high. So we're looking at that very closely. What can we do in the future? uh, Where if people can produce their gigs, we can think about a shared platform to get this out. And I don't need to tell you about the complexities around copyright and things like that to make sure artists get fairly paid for their work.
1: We will leave it there for part one of the Green Room's two-part COVID music industry special with a deeper look in part two into the potential roadmap to recovery for the industry and some in-depth exploration into the future of Australian music. Thank you for joining me for this special episode of the Green Room podcast today and a huge thank you to my army of guests and their teams who took the time to join me for this special roundtable as well as the entire team at The Music and The Handshake Agency, who all combined to get this episode happening. Part two of this series is available right now, so I do hope you'll join me as we continue this important chat from around the industry. To catch up on all episodes of The Green Room and other Handshake Agency podcasts, visit thepodcast.com.au and please stay safe and sane out there and look after each other.
11: Tiana Spita is a podcast from the Handshake Agency Network, produced by Tiana Spita and Andrew Mast, with Pharrell D'Souza and Henry Gibson, providing research, recorded and engineered by Zig Parker, executive producer Craig Trewey.